the Upper Cumberland is filled with rich history that helped to shape our country to what we live in today. Join Abbott historian Troy Smith as he will tell you tales of characters and events that happened in your backyard. Mountain True starts now. Hello, this is Mountain True, and I am your host, Troy Smith, Associate Professor of History at Tennessee Tech and a, uh, a native of the Upper Cumberland region. Mountain True is a podcast that looks at the history of the Upper Cumberland. Sometimes we talk about things that um, most people around here are familiar with. Uh, like, for example, um, we've talked about Champ Ferguson. A lot of folks are familiar with his story. We've recently been talking about John Catron, who was an associate justice of the United States Supreme Court from 1837 to 1865. Um, he was a, a not only a Tennessean, he was from the Upper Cumberland. Uh, he had started his studies for uh, passing the bar in Sparta and briefly for a few years had a law practice in Sparta, then worked his way up to the Tennessee State uh, Supreme Court and eventually the U.S. Supreme Court. Before I, I go much further, I want to acknowledge, again, the work of a couple of my friends and colleagues that have done a lot of research on, on Catron, uh, those, uh, those friends being Michael Birdwell, a fellow professor from Tennessee Tech, and John Nisbet, an attorney. Uh, you may know one or both of them. Uh, I definitely wanted to acknowledge, acknowledge their work. In fact, the two of them wrote a piece about John Catron that appeared in a book in 2015 called People of the Upper Cumberland, which won the Tennessee Library Association Award for Best History Book of the Year. People of the Upper Cumberland, edited by Michael Birdwell and Calvin Dickinson. You should, uh, you should seek it out. I also want to... Uh, uh, shamelessly self-promote a little bit, I guess, in addition to my day job. I am also a writer of both nonfiction and of fiction. You can check out some of my work at my website, www.troydwainsmith.com. That's D-U-A-N-E. Or you can just do a search for Troy D. Smith at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Google, or wherever. All right, well, let's continue our story and, in fact, conclude our story about uh, Associate Justice John Catron. Previously, we've talked about Catron's kind of checkered and complicated relationships with the institution of, of slavery, with race relations, and with American Indians, specifically Cherokees. And... When, when last we spoke, we had gotten to a very momentous case that he was involved with. He was on the court when this case was tried, the case of Dred Scott versus Sanford. I'm assuming that, that many of you are familiar with this. It's one of the most famous Supreme Court cases. It's also one of the most famous bad Supreme Court decisions, as it will turn out. So a little bit of background. Dred Scott was a slave. He was uh, owned by a man who traveled around quite a bit 
and took his slave, Dred Scott, with him. He moved up to Illinois Territory before it became a state. And from there, moved to Wisconsin Territory, living in the area that would later be the state of Minnesota. And during that time, uh, he rented Dred Scott out. Uh, That was a common practice back then for slave owners. Uh, Dred got, got married, had a family. Then his owner returned with him to the state of Missouri. Uh, when that happened, and, and fearful that his family might be separated by, by a sale or something like that, Dred Scott sued his, his owner, actually, and he made, he made the argument, he and his lawyers made the argument that because there's no slavery in Illinois Territory or Wisconsin Territory, that once his master and owner took him to those areas, he was no longer a slave, slavery being illegal there. Well, that made its way through the courts actually pretty slowly over the course of the whole thing. I believe that his original owner died and then uh, his ownership was transferred to the widow who then transferred it to her brother who was named Sanford. That's where the Sanford part comes in. And eventually it made its way to the United States Supreme Court, presided over at that time by Chief Justice Roger Taney. Well, let's talk for a moment, a little bit of background about the situation with with slavery at that time. Again, I realize that this may be, you know, old news. That's what history is, I guess, old news to many of you. Uh, But it has to do with the Compromise of 1820, which was the decision that was made that there was going to be a line dividing the country, north and south, that slavery would not be allowed in any new territories north of that line. Now, in states where it already existed north of that line, like Kentucky and Maryland and Delaware, a lot of people don't know that, it continued. But there could be no slavery in any new territories, which is the situation when Dred Scott's owner took him up there. Well, it comes to the court, and the court rules against Dred Scott. Roger Taney, who was from Maryland and was a slave owner and a very, very strong supporter of slavery, made the argument that actually, now this is according to him, actually, the, according to the Constitution, he said, slaves or people descended from slaves, which means essentially African-descended people in general, were not citizens. That nowhere in the Constitution did it imply that they are citizens. Therefore, Tawney said, they have none of the rights and privileges of citizenship. And in fact, again, I'm quoting Tawney, they were inferior, quote, with no rights which the white man was bound to respect and they were justly and lawfully reduced to slavery, end quote. So Tawny's saying, black people, slave or not, have absolutely no rights whatsoever. Therefore, this whole compromise of 1820 was moot, uh, that the federal government, he argued, did not have the authority to forbid slavery or to limit it in any way, 
in any place. Now, this was, like I said, one of the most famous bad Supreme Court decisions because essentially it undid the Compromise of 1820 and the later Compromise of 1850 and threw everything wide open. Uh, so according to, to Tawney's interpretation, northern states, but especially northern territories that had not yet become states, could not limit slavery. Actually, um, the argument was made that states could do so because, you know, states' rights, but territories were not states and were presided over by the federal government who could not limit anyone's property rights. So Tawney's main argument was black people have no rights whatsoever. Now, Catron, throughout his career, even though he was a slave owner and even though he had fathered a child by a slave that uh, – he, actually, he didn't own the slave woman, um, but uh, so, far as, so far as we know, he gave a grand total of 25 cents to his offspring. Uh, despite all that, he had uh, in the past supported the idea that slaves were not chattel, but were human beings with basic rights. However, in this case, he sided with Tawny and the majority of the court his reasoning was different than Tawney's. He didn't talk about uh, black people having no rights, which he had argued actually against before, but it was about property, the idea that the uh, federal government had no authority to limit property. So this put him on the winning side in that Supreme Court argument, but the losing side in history. Uh, that Supreme Court decision, the important thing about well, the Supreme Court is that they have the power of judicial review, which means the Supreme Court is the ultimate arbiter of what is or is not constitutional. So if the court rules against Dred Scott and essentially says that slavery can't be limited, that becomes a constitutional argument. That was only settled with, really, the Civil War, uh, and the end of the Civil War and the 13th Amendment, which, you know, an amendment to the Constitution supersedes any previous, um, really, interpretations because it, the thing now becomes constitutional. So that's how that was overturned. But uh, it, was, uh, it was a very bad decision, obviously, uh, not just in retrospect, but to a lot of people at the time. Now, Catron, again, this is kind of a complex individual, kind of a complicated story. He's pro-slavery. He voted against Dred Scott. But when the Civil War starts, he is not in favor of secession. Now, remember, he was a longtime admirer of Andrew Jackson. And if you're familiar with the whole story of the... Uh, uh, the, the whole thing about the, the nullification crisis in South Carolina in the early 1830s when South Carolina threatened to secede and Andrew Jackson raised an army to invade them. John Catron supported Jackson in that. Uh, he was a union man like, you know, like his, his, his friend and really hero Andrew Jackson who was in his lifetime uh, very, very – much in favor of preserving the Union at all costs, the Union being uh, a country that Jackson, as a Revolutionary War veteran, had fought to help secure. That was 
for for Cachin. That was a very unpopular position in his native Tennessee. Um, he took a lot of flack uh, for not only opposing the Confederacy but supporting the Union. Many of his uh, uh, fellow Tennesseans believed him to be a traitor. That may also be why they stopped talking about him in the Upper Cumberland, and now most people have never heard of him. So all in all, his career, a uh, very checkered career, a lot of very positive things, and then a couple of, a couple or more really negative things, but the thing is, they were really, really big negative things. Uh, nonetheless, I believe, and a lot of other people I think would support me in this, he should be remembered uh, in the Upper Cumberland, specifically really in White County, although he also at various times owned property in Carthage and Tullahoma and for a while operated out of Overton County. He should be, he should be remembered. Uh, it is very significant that this area produced an associate justice of the Supreme Court. He's, uh, he's buried in, in Nashville physically, but in some ways he's been sort of metaphorically buried and lost to memory. And this is just one of the many examples of some really fascinating things that exist kind of under the surface, kind of just outside of public memory here in the Upper Cumberland. So please come back and we will discuss some other such things. See you then. You've been listening to Mountain True. Download your favorites and keep up with new episodes in the Henson Oakley Podcast Center.